Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. This is Tracy Eiler, co-author of Align to Achieve, how to unite your sales and marketing teams into a single force for growth. And you are listening to the Marketing Book Podcast. Welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast, helping you keep up with the smartest thinking in the quickly changing field of modern marketing. And now, here's your host, Douglas Burdett. Hello, thanks for joining me on the Marketing Book Podcast, which was named by LinkedIn as one of 10 podcasts that will make you a better marketer. My goal for this podcast is to help you discover new ideas about what's actually working in modern marketing. And don't worry about taking notes. You can find links to everything discussed in this episode's show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. Today, we're joined by Tracy Eiler, and we're going to talk about the new book she has co-authored with Andrea Austin, Aligned to Achieve, How to Unite Your Sales and Marketing Teams into a Single Force for Growth. Tracy Eiler is the Chief Marketing Officer at Inside View, where she leads the company's marketing strategy and initiatives. She was named recently a B2B demand marketing game changer and is included in the top 20 women to watch in sales lead management and in the top 30 most influential women in B2B marketing technology. She is a graduate of the University of Michigan, Go Wolverines, and according to her LinkedIn profile, was Tri-Delta sorority house manager and was voted most feared her senior year. Tracy, congratulations on Align to Achieve and welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast. Thank you so much, Douglas. I'm excited to talk to you today. So most feared, what, what was that? Were you keeping the freshmen in line at the sorority house? Well, kind of. We had a very big chapter at Michigan. Um, there were like 160 girls in the ha that were in the chapter, and mm. 70 of them lived in this very old, you know, three-story house. And my role as house manager was to manage roommate pairings, uh, which changed every quarter. And you and can imagine. And it was imagine. probably never a popular job either. Oh, no, but it made me very good at multitasking, mix and match, and personality management, which has served me well here. And then my other job was to make sure that girls didn't do anything stupid with the plumbing or sneaking boys in or things of that nature. That so was that probably more difficult, right? Most feared. <laughs> I had a secret deal actually with our house mom and she and I uh, covered each other. Oh, good. So anyway, now, you know, multitasking and uh, leadership role, no big surprise there as to what you're, you're currently doing. You've been doing your career. Um, I recently met another Michigan graduate, uh, Brent Adamson, co-author mm -hmm. of The Challenger Sale and The Challenger Customer. I love that book, both of those books. Yeah, he was there about the same time you were. Oh, interesting. Yeah. That's a huge school. So yes, I know. I know. I know. Cross paths. You know who else went to Michigan who I have not yet met? No. Madonna. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. She went to the dance school. That's right. Um, and I think Brent, and Adam Brent Adamson did not go to the dance school. Probably not. Probably <laughs> not. I studied sociology, which was the fastest major I could finish. Okay. Okay. Well, my mom studied that too in, in college. So um, anyway, there's a lot of valuable mental hard drive space uh, of trivia in my head that's, that's, you know, that's just taking up a lot of space. Uh, well, mine too. <laughs> so um, 
What uh, before we get started, explain for the listener what uh, Inside View is and what they do. Absolutely. We are a business-to-business software company that helps sales and marketing people be more effective. We help you pick your target accounts, all the people in them that you should go after, and then we have a variety of um, products for both the sales and marketing people to make them more effective. Um, We have big customers, small customers, all walks of life, and you can find out more at InsideView.com. And it's also a great uh, blog. So even even if folks don't become a customer, they should be reading your blog. We have a lot of good sales intelligence, um, sales effectiveness skills type things. We also have a website called Social Selling University, which is quite useful tips for sellers on how to use uh, social channels to engage. We'll we'll make sure to link both of those uh, and everything else we're going to talk about up at uh, marketingbookpodcast.com. Right. So um, your book is one of my personal favorite topics. Um, and recently, I was uh, honored to be invited to the CEB Sales and Marketing Thought Leader Roundtable. And uh, it had people there like uh, Brent Adamson, who we just talked about, mm-hmm. and, and Matthew Dixon, and, and Pat Spinner, the, the author, uh, one of the co-authors for The Challenger Customer, and Carlos Hidalgo, author of Driving Demand, and uh, Brian Carroll, and Tim Sanders, and Matt Hines, who I think you know. And, I do. What a great experience. Yeah, boy, I was, I was like a kid. I was like a kid at NFL fan appreciation day. I, mm-hmm. I, I couldn't believe I was getting to meet all these folks that I had, you know, uh, long been following. And the number one topic over two days was sales and marketing alignment. I'm not surprised. Yeah. I mean, you know, it, this is an age old topic that is so painful. And I think we've all gotten used to just dealing with it. And it's becoming an imperative to just really get our acts together. Yeah. And it's, but it's like it sucked all the oxygen out of the room because they, we talked about other things, but this was it. And it was a great, mm-hmm. un- unbelievable group because there were real sales and marketing heavyweights there. Um, so let me ask you, why, why should, sales and marketing align? I mean, is this because we want people to get along well with each other? Why should a CEO even care? Because research shows that sales and marketing aligned companies grow faster and are more profitable. That's the bottom line. There's all sorts of people issues, of course, right? You're you're more effective, you're happier at work, you have better tenure and so on. But there's real money behind improving your alignment. Serious Decisions says that a well-aligned company can grow 19% faster and have more than 15% higher profit. Um, that's a that's a big deal, right? What would you do if you could have 19% faster growth? And this is all things that are in control, right? Alignment between sales and marketing are things that we can control. It's not a competitive issue. It's not a market pressure issue. We can control this and the time is now. Another reason why it's an imperative for sales and marketing to align now is that the buyer behavior has changed. And that's that's something that we're all becoming very familiar with in conferences and in reading and in many of the books that are out there. You know, the buyer is more control in more control than ever before, whether they are in a business to business setting or a consumer. They 
there's, you know, research that says that more than 60% of their journey is done before they ever make themselves known to the company. And, and so we're less in control as marketing and sales folks. We don't know who our buyers are until later on in the journey. So we got to get together and make sure that we are engaging with our audience in a super relevant way in a very targeted way, because research also shows that when you approach an account, in a highly relevant way, in a way that is coordinated, in a way that makes that potential customer feel like they're being approached with one voice, they're much more receptive. They're not going to hang back and uh, you know stay anonymous for mm-hmm. as long. So the buyer behavior changing is um, is is kind of scary, honestly, and it's it's disenfranchising sales and it's making marketing have to do more earlier in the cycle. Yeah, and at the beginning of the book, you I might have been the first graphic. <laughs> This is, you know, the, the Jerry Maguire, you had me at hello. You you put the, a graphic that shows 19% faster growth, mm-hmm. 15% high, higher profitability. If a CEO doesn't, if, if you didn't hit him with a two by four between the eyes with that, I, I don't know that they can be helped. But but speaking of leadership, uh, obviously you have to have the CEO on board. What, when, when, let's say the CEO is still not quite on board, what would you recommend to people to try to help them understand other than uh, trying to coax them into reading this book? So a lot of CEOs do need to be coaxed that alignment is an imperative. And I'll tell you why. I think many CEOs believe that sales and marketing needs to have what I like to call healthy tension with air quotes around that Mm -hmm, phrase, mm -hmm. um, because they think that they're going to get the best performance for lead generation, revenue performance, and so on, if those two teams are in some sort of conflict, it's almost a Darwinian survival of the fittest sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And I've literally had CEOs say to me, like, I, I want to see you guys fight some because I think you're going to get to the best resolution. Well, the problem with that is, of course, it can get out of control. So I think you got to hit it head on. And if you're in a company where um, your CEO does not think it's an imperative, I think it's upon you, whether you're the marketing leader or the sales leader, to go to your counterpart and get agreement that you're going to make this work and go to the CEO together and raise the issue and call them on their game if they are not supportive Um, and use those stats, of course. And then I would say start small. If you're getting resistance, you know, figure out a project you can work on where you can show that being aligned makes you more effective as a, for instance, you know, pick your top target accounts that you want to go after. And, you know, maybe it's 10, something like that could be existing customers, could be new prospects and show that you are more effective, that you accelerate your deals, that your win rates go higher and all of those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. There are a couple of times in the book where you talk about, look, it, when, when sales and marketing go together, uh, to the CEOs, they almost can't resist because you've already worked together. You've done your homework and you're, 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 you're presenting this idea. And we should also mention that, um, uh, Andrea is your sales counterpart at Inside View. So, uh, it's, you're, you're, you really have walked the walk in terms of doing this, which I found helpful in the, uh, in the book. Um, the other thing that I think we should talk about though is under the category of don't take my word for it. Uh, can you talk about the survey that Inside View did about the that resulted in mm-hmm. the uh, the crack the code of sales and marketing alignment? Yeah, yeah. So I, I'm very passionate about this topic, as you are, and so is Andrea. And we were we have a large customer base of sales and marketing people, so we're 
targeting those folks. And I had a hypothesis that alignment uh, was continuing to be a huge issue and that companies were struggling and needed advice on what to do from um, leading organizations. And so we decided to run a survey um, and it was very simple, you know, took 10 minutes, something like that. Um, we offered respondents early copy to the research. We had more, almost a thousand people, 996 to be exact, respond. I wish I'd left it in the field like one day later than I could say more <laughs> than a thousand. Um, you know how us marketers are, right? Yes. Um, so 60% uh, of who responded were salespeople, 40% were marketing. So it was a really nice mix. And we asked them all sorts of questions. Is alignment a problem in your organization? If so, how bad is it? What do you think it's costing you? Um, did you meet or exceed or, um, uh, or fail in revenue goals last year? And then we took all the leaders, we called them the ones who exceeded, and then we figured out what they were doing differently, and they were definitely doing some things differently. Um, my, the fun part of the survey was we gave uh, stereotypes, list of stereotypes to marketing and salespeople, and we asked them if they agreed or disagreed. Um, so as a for instance, a third of the salespeople surveyed say they could do a better job in marketing than their marketing counterpart. Um, okay, let's, uh, let's say that again just to make sure everybody heard that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A third of the salespeople that we surveyed said that they could do a better job in marketing than their marketing counterparts. Mm. That's pretty remarkable, right? Yeah, well, um, it gets even addition, better. <laughs> yeah, in addition to that, you know, uh, we asked um, – you know, salespeople are mavericks. Is that true or not? Right. And almost a third of the marketers said, yes, absolutely. What's your cowboys? Um, yeah, which is kind of true, right? You sort of need to be a cowboy if you're going to be a good salesperson. Yes. Um, and then, you know, there's always the stereotype that marketing is a bunch of party planners and just pick colors and so on. And so we had a question that said, you know, for sales, uh, my marketing team uh, just plans parties or and events and, and works on branding. And, and a very large percentage said, yes, that's true. The make right, it so pretty whole, department. Yeah, it's horrifying. The good news, however, was we did ask some sentiment, um, attitudinal kind of questions like, you know, I like my counterparts, I'm friends with them, their job is hard, things like that. I like and respect them also. And those affinity measures were very high, both from sales and marketing. So that was a good sign to me because I don't think that always would have been true, at least in my career. We, I, I, I certainly have yeah. friends, sales, and so on. Mm -hmm. So that survey, um, uh, was the inspiration behind, we turned it into an ebook. It got very popular. Um, and then we decided to, we started talking to Wiley and they were interested in a book on the topic. So we decided to take it on and, you know, we used our survey data. We did a lot of research with industry analysts. Um, and then we interviewed more than 50 people that were sales and marketing and CEOs and, um, and got their advice about what they're doing. Right. So the intention of the book was to make it a very practical guide on how to get your revenue dream team together. And so every single chapter has got a takeaway. So if your readers want to look at it, just look at the end of every single chapter and you will understand kind of what to do. And then if you, you know, want to spend the time to read it, please do. Uh, but we really wanted to make it uh, an actionable guide. Yeah. And I think at the very end, it's, um, where is it? Uh, if you only do, I'm trying to find it here. There's it, a section that says, if you only do this or something like that. Yep. I mean. Is if you right? do nothing else, do this. It's, right. it's uh, <laughs> right. yeah. If you do nothing else, do these things. And then there's, you know, a list. Um, 
and, know, and I think it's, it's great because uh, here's why people might read the book and go, oh, I, I can never even get started. Well, now all they have to do is with those couple things at the end of each chapter, at least to get uh, started. Um, sort of, sort of, sort of the uh, what I like to call the no excuses uh, thing. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Tracy, big question: What is the number one barrier or challenge to alignment? The number one barrier or challenge to the to alignment. Honestly, I think it's courage. And that may seem like a weird question, but it, it so much of this is people issues at the underlying basis mm-hmm. and an understanding of the other's role and how their job works. Especially in today's day and age, you know, so many of us are using um, specific sales methodologies, whether it's Challenger or, uh, you know, I remember spin selling and yeah. tasks so on. And then us marketers are, are doing content marketing and we've, you know, we might have a, an email marketing tool or a marketing automation tool. So we've got all these stages and it's gotten very complex and it's hard to understand what's going on in the other team's world in terms of the underlying uh, guts of the definitions of what they do and the skills that they're developing and so on. And so that's intimidating. And then you add on top of that, the fact that, you know, a lot of sales leaders are pretty dang scary. Maybe not to a senior executive, um, you know, CMO or something, but to people that are your, you know, less than 10 years experienced marketers, they see the VP of sales coming in our company like Andrea and they kind of go, Oh God, here she comes. Um, and they kind of freak. So I think number one barrier is courage and, uh, and you got to lean in and overcome it. And I have been in situations where sales was, very resistant to work with me. Um, there's a story in the book I tell about a previous organization I belong to where I walked in the door and there were four sales VPs um, that were each running a different vertical. And there was the alpha sales guy, um, you know, that ran the biggest division and he wouldn't even shake my hand. On oh, my that's birthday. right. I remember that. I was, uh, that was, that was really kind you know, of dramatic. It, I mean, of course it was like horribly rude, but I get it because that company had churned out four sales, sorry, four marketing VPs in three years before me. So those sales guys are sitting there saying, you know, you're not going to help me. You're going to be gone. Um, you know, so what do you do in that case? What I did was I, I just kind of sucked it up and got in their face and said, we got to work together guys. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, and we made it work, but it took courage. It, it was hard. Yeah. You know what, uh, that, this is strange, but that reminded me of a couple of movies, <laughs> Platoon and Band of Brothers, where they they talk. Oh, I love those movies. They talked about how replacements. They really didn't want to get to know the replacements because right. they knew they weren't going right. to be around long. <laughs> yeah, they call it the FNG. Yeah, I totally know what you mean. Um, and you know, you think about the stats that say that the average tenure of a CMO has gone from went from twenty four months to eighteen to fourteen, and I think it's back now to something like nineteen months. And then sales VPs, same sort of thing, right? You know. Sales is not being successful. They're going to get blown out in three quarters or something. And it's usually the marketing person gets, you know, pushed out first. Sure. Um, and then, you know, and then sales follows. And yeah. that sort of turnover is just, oh, my God, talk about hitting the momentum of the company. It's really bad. It's crazy. Now, let's go ahead. Now, there was one thing in the survey that I thought I, w- I thought it would have been a higher number. But that is you said that 55% of sales thinks marketing isn't accountable for pipeline. And you say in the book that pipeline is the most important metric for sales and marketing alignment. Let's back up a moment and just define pipeline. So definition of pipeline is 
the the body of opportunities that sales thinks they can close. Simple as that. So sales is working on a number of accounts or with a number of you know potential buyers, and they're the ones that you know they are forecasting and think that they can close in some period of time. What comes before that is all that marketing and sales process of you know finding the lead and qualifying it and potentially scoring it and handing it over to sales where marketing is saying, hey, I think this one's good enough for you, Douglas, to have a look at. This might be a good one. And you agree and you say, yep, I think it's a good one. And you turn that into an opportunity, also known as pipeline. So that's the definition. So what do you say to marketers who claim, I can't, con- I can control lead generation, but I can't mm-hmm. control whether sales can turn that into pipeline? Yeah, I hear that objection all the time. And it's kind of true, right? I I can't control whether what I'm handing over to sales is going to get closed or worked on properly, but I need to care. And the best way to get credibility with your sales force is to be measured on pipeline. And it's a new thing. Uh, You know, when I asked for a show of hands, you mentioned CEB earlier, Andrea and I spoke at their conference, sales and marketing conference last fall in Vegas. And we asked for a show of hands, you know, how many of you marketers in the audience are measured by pipeline? And it was like 10%. Um, and, And it's because we're uncomfortable about going that far into the process. But I'll tell you, we're doing it here at Inside View, where we look at every single campaign and we looked at we look at two aspects of pipeline. What was net new generated? So fresh blood accounts that we've never spoken to before, which is great, right? Because you're expanding your reach and helping sales. And then are there deals in the pipeline that we influenced? So source pipeline and influence pipeline. Did we touch them and move them and push them faster? And, and that really, really helps. So we tell marketers, you got to care. And it's not that hard to look at. It will increase your credibility. You still measure other things. You still got to look earlier in the, in the funnel and your marketing stages to make sure that all of your traditional measures, you know, uh, lead conversion and so on is working well, because obviously that's going to feed pipeline. But I think that may, being measured by pipeline is the wave of the future. It's just an imperative. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, there's something that got, runs throughout the book. And Explain what marketing's job is. I believe that marketing's job is to make sales easier. Full stop. And there's a a subtext to that, which I like to say, but we're not doormats. So I can parse that out if you'd like. But the bottom line is marketing exists to make sales easier. We need to figure out anything we can do to make the sales process easier, faster, more productive and so on. Now, the reason that I have that caveat, the doormat phrase is it's pretty easy to get yourself in a subservient relationship with your sellers, right? And, you know, they start having you run around filling out, you know, proposals for them or trying to get you to book appointments for them or crazy things like that. And so you need to have the intestinal fortitude to say, Hey, and as, as my friend uh, and colleague CMO at Imperva, Kim DeCarlis says, uh, marketing serves sales, but we're not servants. That's another way to say it. And, and I think it's really important to set up that relationship, which says, look, I'm going to do everything I can to make you successful sales team. Um, and you're going to come to me with ideas. You're going to be pushing me to do more. 
and I'm not going to let you walk all over me or abuse me, which often happens, right? Mm -hmm. Salespeople are pushy by nature. They need to be in order to close deals, right? Right. So I think marketing needs to learn how to handle that personality, not be intimidated by it, embrace it, because that's what's driving your company's revenue, and really have an equal partnership where you're serving, but you're not a servant. Yeah, and I think that my sense is that every little thing they learn more about what marketing is doing uh, helps them understand, uh, have a greater appreciation and understand that they are, in fact, <laughs> not a doormat. And that's, oh, not, gosh, that's, not, so right. that's not a very good uh, use of their time as being a doormat. There's also a mantra throughout the book where you say, sales can't do it alone and marketing exists to make it easier. Uh, can you say a little bit more about why sales can't do it alone, uh, particularly for those who may have been uh, through an era where they thought they could do it alone? Right. So Andrea is the one who loves to say sales can't do it alone. And it's it's because of the buyer changing that we talked about earlier. Mm-hmm. The buyer is more in control. They don't identify themselves until very late in the cycle. And, you know, in the old days, when I say the old days, I'm talking like three years ago, right? Not that long ago. Ancient history. Um, it was harder for uh, prospects to remain anonymous, but now it's not. And so, you know, sales is getting a little bit disenfranchised. Forrester has some great research that talks about, you know, how out of the loop um, sales can end up being um, as the buyer is able to get more information. And of course, all us marketers are becoming content marketers, which, you know, is a big craze uh, to help educate the market and deliver useful information that's not just about your product. And all of those things together mean that, you know, sales really needs marketing's help. In addition to that, Douglas, you know, that the traditional marketing and sales funnel, which is literally shaped like a funnel, like you've used to put oil in your car, that has really changed to a visual that is much more like a sideways eight, the infinity symbol. Yeah. Talk about that. That's great. Yeah. It's really important because, you know, uh, when I came up through the ranks, I learned uh, that uh, the marketing process was much more like the funnel visual where it's wide at the top and narrow at the bottom and prospects start at the top by becoming aware and then they start doing research and engaging with you and then they might try and then they're going to buy mm-hmm. and then they're done, right? They're a customer, yay. Well, <laughs> And then you um, can ignore them, right? <laughs> it, kind of, right? And, I'm joking and, about the, the, the common misperception that's still out there. But also this eight is also like looking at one of those little Hot Wheels tracks on the, on the floor. And it just it keeps is. going around and around. But you can explain those uh, the four elements that go into it. Right. So so the way that we like to think about it is, you know, in that Hot Wheels track, um, you know, the prospects are on that track with you. And, you know, guess what? You get a lot more revenue out of your existing customer base. In fact, in our case, two times the amount of revenue when we open a new opportunity with an existing customer than a net new prospect. So you want your customers to be happy and you want to be offering them new things. So in order to do that, the four steps that we talk about across that, you know, sideways eight or ellipses or Hot Wheels track, as you called it, is, you know, first you find these accounts um, then you engage with them. You're starting a dialogue. They're looking at your content. Uh, sales might start talking about them, you know, talking to them and so on. Then you close them. You win that business. And then you got to grow that account. 
And as you're growing that account, you're finding, again, you're finding new opportunities in that account, new people to talk to, and so on. So find, engage, close, and grow, and it just keeps going around and around and around. And if you can get the velocity of that going really well, you've got a great business. Um, another thing that's driving that is many of our, our companies now have a subscription-based revenue model, um, whether it is you know software or detergent, where every month the customer gets another delivery. Lawn and care, pest control. Absolutely. That subscription um, is an annuity and you got to keep that customer happy and you got to keep offering them new services and new products. And so there you go again, find, engage, close and grow. So it, I think it's a great model and I'm uh, it, it's one that has really helped us talk about what marketing can do in every step of that. You know, if you think about your existing customer base, it's not just about serving them and keeping them happy. It's about keeping them informed. It's potentially about having a community where they can talk to each other about best practices. Um, and, you know, depending on whatever the product or service is that you're selling, you know, there's just lots of different ways that you can keep them happy and engaged and they're going to just keep coming back to you to solve their problems. Yeah. You know, um, back to uh, sales can't do it alone. There was one quote from John Barrows in the book that I thought really mm. uh, illustrated that when he said that um, he sees sales starting to lose ground to marketing in the race for relevance. Mm. That was a, sort of a whoa, you know. Um, that's, you know, there's more going on there. And I think, uh, you know, maybe, uh, maybe as that happens, you, you, you hear even more bluster from the sales folks, but, but let's move on. Um, how can content be used as a catalyst for alignment? How can content be used as a catalyst for alignment? That's a great question. So us marketers are constantly thinking about content marketing. And to me, all that means is what are the subjects what are the business problems that your audience is worried about? And then what information can you provide to them that's going to help them solve that problem? That's all it is. And content can take many forms. There's many form factors. Um, there's all sorts of research on what's most effective when you think about form factors such as white papers or videos or podcasts like this one, right? So there's lots of different form factors marketers can choose from. But the bottom line is you got to think about the business problem of your audience and what they might be interested in and how you can engage them. And if you hit that sweet spot and you build that virtual relationship with your content, you are going to have a wonderful following. Yeah, you talk about how the marketing folks will tend to talk more about like product, they'll have more of a product orientation, whereas the salesperson is the one that's <laughs> trying to uh, engage with the customer and solve their problem. I had never thought of the content being used as sort of the straw that stirs the drink, but uh, it would also help to get a lot more of that content that is never used, used. Absolutely. And, you know, I'm doing, we, Andrea and I are doing our own content marketing with this book, right? We want to get sales and marketing in the room together to talk to one another and have common goals. And that's going to help our business. It's a thought leadership topic that is important in the industry, but it's also going to help our customer base. Um, so, you know, it's one of those things where you sort of have to reverse engineer from what the 
end customer what you think they care about. And if you don't know, by the way, ask, right? And then (laughs) figure out. Stop guessing. Yeah, stop guessing. And then figure out, you know, what it is that you know about as a subject matter expert that could actually help them. And it is true. I think it's traditionally true that marketers would look at products and push products. But I think more and more we are becoming much better at thought leadership style content um, that has, I don't want to say nothing to do with your company, but it talks about subjects that are business problems and issues and, um, you know, how to's and things like that. And that just happen to be about the things your company is good at. Right. And you introduce the product stuff later on once the prospect is engaging with you further and shows interest. Yeah. Um, you mentioned uh, earlier the, the university you have uh, that Inside View has. Can you explain what social selling is and how it can be a catalyst for alignment? Sure. Social selling is simply salespeople using social channels like LinkedIn or Twitter. Those would be my two potential favorites to follow their potential prospects and watch what they're talking about, to start a dialogue with them, not pushing product but sharing content and sharing information. There's also lots of groups. You look at LinkedIn groups, there's all sorts of special interest groups that you can join and become uh, an authority. So the best social sellers I know are almost like content marketers where they're taking all the content that marketing is putting out and then they are using a social channel to engage. Um, One of the things that helps you do that in a relevant way if you're a seller is by understanding what's going on in those accounts. Um, You know, looking at what news they've put out recently. Did they have a management change? Have they launched a new product? Is there something going on in their market? And then you can figure out how to engage with relevance. And that's going to get you attention. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. There's one one big part here that I I wanted to make sure we touch on. You know, we talked about courage being important and certainly communication, just simple communication between marketing and sales. These, these humans are so complicated, Tracy. Um, <laughs> but why is process? Uh, can you explain why that's at the heart of alignment success? Absolutely. Uh, process is at the heart of alignment success because business processes are often where there's a lot of conflict. So if you think about as a marketer, where you you might be fighting with your sales team. And I use the word fighting, right, to be dramatic. It might just be, you know, grumbling and conflict. But, you know, there are things like, how often have you heard your sales team say, these leads are crap. I'm not going to follow up on these. Well, that's a process issue, right? Mm -hmm. Where you guys don't have agreement between sales and marketing about what makes a good lead. That's a process issue. Um, There also can be all sorts of process issues around, how leads are routed to sales or how sales, uh, what sales does with a lead if they decide it's not good enough, right? What do they do with it? Do they just, you know, dump it on the floor or do they communicate back to marketing? Hey, I want you to keep these guys nurtured for a while because they're not ready yet. In fact, we just did a um, major project after looking at uh, our pipeline over time, we saw that more than a third of it was, uh, dispensing as a what I'd call not ready yet, right? Where they didn't, we didn't win the business, we didn't lose the business. The prospect just said, eh, not yet. And they're going to be ready someday, some percentage of them. In fact, 
folks at Marketo were telling me that as much as 25% of their quarterly revenue is from recycled leads. I mean, that's pretty remarkable, right? Mm. Um, so that means, you know, marketing's got to catch those people that are not ready yet and keep them warm. So we just did a major project where we created a, a, a my colleague, Colleen, who put it together, calls it the wake the dead nurture. And, um, and, it's going to yeah. launch at Halloween, right? And, and you know, we took we took everybody that ended up in the not ready yet category from the last eighteen months, and we put them into a multi touch um, nurture just to keep them um, interested and and tied to us, and and we're touching them with the useful content that we think relates to their business problems. And over time, some of them are going to raise their hand again and say, "Oh, you know, I'm ready now, and you've stayed in touch with me, so I'd like to talk." Um, you know, that's an example of a process thing that can really help. And I think, you know, every step of your business processes is fraught with definitions issues and handoff issues that need to be worked on. Tracy, uh, jumping ahead, uh, there's this whole sections that we're kind of, I'm kind of glossing over in fairness uh, to you and Andrea, but can you describe in the book, you, you, you describe data as the great equalizer of alignment uh, and the currency of growth. What happens to alignment if a company doesn't get a handle onto data? So the, the data is a great equalizer for alignment is something that I feel really strongly about. And what do I mean by data? What I'm talking about is the information about your accounts and the people in those accounts that you're going after. You want to have agreement on who the right targets are and what the right profile is in fancy terms, us marketers would call it a total addressable market project and an ideal customer profile or ICP project. You know, those terms get thrown around a lot, but all it simply means is where's our best market fit and getting agreement on that is critical. So your, your customer data, your customer and prospect data needs to be agreed upon, accurate, clean, it needs to be common across your systems. Many times there might be a, uh, a sales tool being used, a customer relationship management product like a Salesforce or a Microsoft Dynamics product or some sort of contact manager. If you're in a smaller company on the marketing side, you might have an you know, email marketing tool where you've got lists or a marketing automation product where you have a leads database. It's hard to get all those systems talking to each other. It's mm -hmm. very hard. It shouldn't be, right? It, certainly the companies don't say it's going to be hard, but it is hard. And over time, data gets dirty and you end up with duplicates and so on. Mm -hmm. And what that ends up doing is causing all sorts of conflict. And because there's not agreement, leads get dropped on the floor or routed to the wrong place. Sales and marketing aren't measuring the same things. And you end up with a highly efficient sales and marketing go-to-market system. So you've got to pay attention to your data. And it's not one of those things you can just set and forget, Douglas, of course, right? Like data is like a river, I like to say. It's just constantly changing. It's never going to be perfect. There's people coming in and out of the system. There's changes to what they're buying and so on. So you have to keep it refreshed on a continual basis. Mm -hmm. And if you don't do any of those things, you're going to be misaligned and you got to pay attention to it. And a lot of people don't like doing it. I, I, you know, I hate to use the dentist analogy, but it's like flossing, right? Yes. Like you need to floss <laughs> every day and everyone hates doing it. But when you don't do it, you're in a world of hurt when you go see your dentist. And the more you do, uh, the better for you. But, you know, it, it relates to the data. Uh, there was one thing in there that really uh, kind of woke me up. 
And it was from John Coe, who's the author of Fundamentals of Business to Business Sales and Marketing. And you talk mm-hmm. about an annual decay rate of 60, oh, yeah. 60 to 70% of B2B lists. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's, it's true. I mean, remember earlier we were talking about turnover, right, in jobs. Mm-hmm. People move around a lot. And the U.S. Census Department says that on average – a person that's in business will change jobs every four years. So if you just take that information, that means that at least 25% of your information is going to be wrong in a year. That's a lot, right? So if you're not keeping on top of that flossing and refreshing, uh-huh. you know, you're just going to have a mess on your hands. I didn't realize it was so perishable. That seems even more perishable than what I've always heard about uh, the uh, – Average email list deteriorates by 25% every year, something like mm-hmm. that. You may have heard mm-hmm. that. Um, mm-hmm. Well, we talk about data. We've got to talk quickly about technology. Um, and, and, you know, there's the shiny object of new technology and there's so much in there. But you talk about how technology can be as much a cause of misalignment as it is a facilitator of alignment. Can you explain Absolutely. that? Absolutely. Absolutely. So we have seen in our careers just in the last – three to five years, an explosion of marketing and sales technology to make us more effective. And it's everything from systems we've already talked about, marketing automation, customer relationship management, to all sorts of e-commerce solutions for your websites, email marketing, predictive, etc. right? Mm-hmm. Lots of shiny bells and whistles. Um, and and I Stop. should add, it's a lot of it. All you need is a credit card and your uh, manager's approval to just to suddenly go out and buy a new cloud-based software product. Very true. And Scott Brinker of Chief Martech uh, is a leading authority on tracking all of this. And your your listeners should go to his website and check it out because he's got these amazing graphs that show the explosion of technology year to year. And there's more than 3,500 software choices out there now for us sales and marketing people. And that number is quadrupled, you know, just in the last couple of years. So what does that mean, right? That means that most of us have a pretty sloppy, messy technology stack now. I know we did uh, when I came here to Inside View and we did an audit on, you know, what is all this stuff? There were like 15 different technologies in our tech stack. And there were a couple of things, Douglas, where the team didn't even know what they were for, right. <laughs> and in one particular case, like I got cleaning a, out the attic. Yeah, I got it. But cleaning out the attic with a bill attached, right? <laughs> a recurring a, bill. Yeah, I get a renewal bill for $33,000 for something that was helping our website be better. Like, really, you know, is this, is this worth this money? And so, you know, when you end up having a messy tech stack and your data is not integrated and in having high integrity, you just run into all sorts of issues um, of, you know, where's the right answer, of course, and we're supposed to be data-driven businesses. You know, how often do we hear that from our board of directors and investors? They want us to be data-driven and you can't be data-driven if you can't trust the data. So, you know, I do think there's a backlash happening um, against the proliferation of marketing technology and, Companies that I know are starting to audit their sales and marketing tech stacks. They're starting to rip out things that aren't proven. And they're going back to basics. What's, what are their absolutely core systems? What's their data strategy? And then what are your adjacent systems? What things do you want to test, right? Because there's always lots of cool stuff coming out all oh, the time. Every day. That could be breakthrough for us. Mm-hmm. Um, but we can't chase that bright, shiny object unless we have our house in order to start. 
Yeah. Um, I, there's so many other questions I want to ask you, but I think we, we're, we're nearing the end of our time. But I, I do want to ask, uh, if readers took only one thing away from the book, what would you hope it would be? If readers only took one thing away from the book, it would be get started now. You have to get started. You can't wait. You can't just live with this. My entire career, I have had challenges with sales and have had to spend time on that relationship and on that communication and and chasing and so on. It's an awful lot of energy. And if you think about being able to get that energy back to drive the business and the market and by doing it with your sales counterparts, your CEO cannot say no to you. And the market will notice the buyer expects to be approached with one voice from the company. Mm-hmm. And it is a imperative upon us to take action now. And then we're going to get that growth and added profit. It's a tough market out there. There are so many choices for buyers today, no matter what your market's in. So it's get started now. Yeah, it brought to mind uh, the, the, the saying, the secret to getting ahead is just getting started. And yes, Yes. And I think there's a momentum, right? Yeah. And you you start to get that flywheel moving, but um, I think people want everything to be perfect and think that, you know, it's true. This tension is never going to be there. Um, What books have inspired your working career? I'm an avid reader. So, uh, you know, I'm always devouring books. And in fact, I read the New York Times every single day. It's, you know, my favorite uh, newspaper because I think there's a lot more to consume you know, beyond business book world. But if I think about, you know, the books that have really impacted me that I refer back, that I give people copies to the first one's crossing the chasm. Honestly, I read that in the eighties when it came out and you know, it, it's, it has makes so much sense about how to introduce new products to the market. Um, so I love that one by Jeff Moore. Um, I also love the challenger books and the challenger customer being the newest one. Um, we are using that, methodology in our own sales team and just the whole idea that you can you know provoke new thought in a customer is very interesting to me it's why I studied sociology at Michigan was I was interested in what makes people do things or believe things and I'd say the last would be all of Malcolm Gladwell's books Mm. the tipping point being the first one I'm super interested in human motivation emotional intelligence is another great book right I think as us marketers we need to be just as good at the science as we are at the art and the more that we can be students of human behavior the more successful we're going to be Mm, great books uh they've been mentioned on the show before and and not surprisingly so tracy how best can listeners learn more about you and andrea and your book the the quickest way is just to come to insideview.com and right on our homepage, uh, you will see the little thumbnail of the book cover and behind it is a, a web, web pages that will tell you more about the book. There's a video that where we're talking about why we wrote it. Um, there are uh, quotes from folks who've read it um, and, and why they liked it and so on. So that's the best way uh, to go about it. Okay. Um- and you you know you're a marketer to the core because you're driving more traffic to your site with that answer. <laughs> bravo, busted. bravo! I busted. Yes, yeah. nope. Don't 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 go changing, Tracy. Um, the name of the book is Align to Achieve: How to Unite Your Sales and Marketing Teams into a Single Force for Growth. The authors are Tracy Eiler and Andrea Austin. Tracy, thank you very much for being on the Marketing Book Podcast. 
Thank you so much. And I really hope that your listeners find value in this. And that closes the book on episode 93 of the Marketing Book Podcast. But please don't let the end of this episode be the end of what you can learn about modern marketing. Visit marketingbookpodcast.com for links to all the things we talked about in this interview and access to free marketing guides from my agency. And while there, make sure to sign up for the Marketing Book Podcast newsletter so you never miss an episode. I love getting contacted by listeners from around the world like you. If I can answer your question or perhaps make a book recommendation, please don't hesitate to get in touch. Just go to marketingbookpodcast.com and leave me a message or connect with me on LinkedIn. My name again is Douglas Burdett or send me a tweet at my new Twitter handle at marketingbook. And please join us next time as we talk with Peter Hubble about his book, Getting Better with Age, Improving Marketing in the Age of Aging. Thanks again for listening to the Marketing Book Podcast.